Empire Magazine's Kim Newman looks back at this film as witty and charming while looking good and proving quite memorable. Vincent Canby of the New York Times says it's one of the few good, truly funny American political comedies ever made. And about its star, Letterboxd user Cherry Film says Robert Redford looks like a double patty cheeseburger with large fries and a medium Coca-Cola at McDonald's in this. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of the candidate. <laughs> Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhood Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters! It's that time for Ruined Childhoods. Uh, I'm Dan, and with me is John. How are you, John? I'm doing okay, Dan. I, I feel like it's becoming more and more clear that you have not planned at all what you're about to say before we start recording. No, John, honestly, like... And it could be the same thing every single time, too. No, I mean, <laughs> look, it evolves, it devolves, it revolves. For for those uh, who need a little context here, not that I'm going to reference this at all, but uh, John is basically recording in like in a shack or a shed. Really it's more a shed. shed. It's a I mean, shed. It's not a shack sounds very Unabomber. Um, yeah. And even though that is kind of how it looks. Um, okay. The Unabomber had a wet, hot American summer alternative poster print behind him when he was uh, working on his, on his little uh, projects, <laughs> little projects. Well, you no, know, obviously the like the interior decoration was different, but like, you know, I imagine this is, how, and I, you know what, actually I think I've seen, I'm trying to remember where it was where I saw like a recreation of the, or maybe it was, I'm trying to remember if it was the FBI museum or the museum okay. where I saw a, it was somewhere, it was a museum and it was in uh, Washington, DC. Anyway, long story short, John's in a shed. So he's also really cold. It is uh it is a wintry day in the Pacific winter Northwest. Winter solstice. It is the winter happy winter a good winter solstice to you all. Hell yeah. Ho- I hope that you are observing safely without any uh type of sacrifice. So you know, I know how some people get on these sol- solstice solstices. Sol- Solstice. You know how people get on the solstice. Yeah, on yeah. you know, on the solstice, you know, things you know get a little get a little wacky. So um that could explain a lot today, and I'm gonna use that as an excuse, you know. Fair, fair, fair. Well, Dan, I have to tell you, uh we're we're recording this. It's the end of December, and uh this is the time when the you know the kind of like the big Awards worthy movies are coming out. Uh, I Prestigious I know I'm I'm really excited to uh, to go see uh, the whale in a couple of days. Um, it has its controversy. We've talked about Brendan Fraser and our and our deep love for him going back to the to the beginning. Yeah, and yeah. I I mean. That aside from that one, I have really been enjoying uh, some of the other ones that I've seen. I didn't love the Fablemans. I uh, didn't really care for that one. Did you see the Fablemans? 
I have not seen it yet. Okay. Um, I mean, all due respect to Steven Spielberg, you know, it's kind of like uh, of all the films out there. It, and I should add that the, a lot of the movies that I've been watching are movies that have been streaming just like, you know, on subscription yeah. services that I already pay for. So, um, I, you know, like at some point I'll watch the Fablemans and I'm sure it's really great and touching. And like, it's, it's kind of, I imagine it being um, akin to like an American version of, of cinema paradiso, but like, you know, kind of yeah. that vibe here. Here's what I'll say about it. This is just my opinion. Uh, okay. This movie would not have been made had it not been made by Steven Spielberg. And that's not just because it's biographical, but like the story itself, it's like if any other director uh, came up with this kind of thing where it's this, you know, it's, it's about his family and about growing up with this uh, complicated relationship with his parents who were going through a divorce, but it's also about him coming up and how filmmaking changed his life. I, I don't know. It, it definitely was just like, does does anybody would anybody relate to this had it not been for the Steven Spielberg of it all? And right. what's interesting is I also watched the movie Armageddon Time, which it's not about filmmaking. Have you watched Armageddon Time? No, but this is yeah. what I want. I'm you are you are having the conversation that I want to have once I have seen the Fablemans and Armageddon Time sure. because to me. Yeah. It feels like Armageddon. T- I don't know. Wh- I, I'm curious to know which one tells the more like worthwhile story. Like, I guess because it sounds like Fablemans is just kind of like, hey, yes, I would like to watch a movie about how Steven Spielberg became, you know, Steven Spielberg. But it sounds yeah. like Armageddon Time is not as much about being James Gray. Yeah, I don't know. I I think that uh, Armageddon Time, I. Uh, which for anybody who doesn't know what Armageddon time is about, it's uh, a semi autobiographical story, if not completely autobiographical. I don't know exactly the, the, the deal there, but it's about a kid who's uh, growing up in Queens. He, uh, he and his family are Jewish and uh, he goes to public school and his older brother goes to a private school. uh, And, you know, he's not a good student. Uh, he His head is in the clouds. He cares more about art than uh, academia. And because of that, he kind of wanders off and he gets into some trouble with another classmate who happens to be black. And there's a lot of things that you see where it's just like, oh, he is being singled out because he is black. And then this, this kid who... I don't know about if, if identifying with his friend is really a thing, but it's more of just like they form a really close friendship. You know, they have a lot in common and uh, that becomes interrupted when the one kid goes and joins his brother in private school after his public school suggests to his parents that he goes into the special education program. And then he's in a situation where it's people who are very racist. They're not... Uh, they're not outwardly anti-Semitic, um, at least in the same way that the school kids are in the Fablemans. Um, but they're, you know, he has a problem with their racism and is just completely against being in this private school where also everybody is. And this takes place. Uh, uh, well, it's during the the 
presidential election in which Reagan was elected. So uh, there's a lot of like pro Reagan messaging and there's appearances by, by the, um, by Fred Trump, uh, not like the actual Fred Trump, an actor portraying Fred Trump and like Jessica Chastain plays, um, is it Mary Ann Trump, Mary Lynn Trump, uh, Donald Trump's sister who was, was she an attorney like general judge. or judge? A, a yeah. Judge. But um, who has, granted, spoken out against her brother? <laughs> um, well, and isn't her daughter, is it her daughter who's? Her daughter, Mary Trump, is the one. Very who, outspoken. Very outspoken about being anti-Donald Trump. So I. Yes. Uh, I feel like it tells a a grittier version. I mean, I think that the problem that both of these movies have is that uh, most of the family that's cast is not Jewish, playing people who are Jewish, which is just an ongoing problem. I mean, Paul Dano and Michelle Williams are excellent actors, and I love them, but... uh, they don't exactly... They're a bit goyish. They're a bit goyish. And um, and, uh, Jeremy Strong... Uh, is a fantastic actor on Succession, but doesn't quite read as uh, Jewish in the in a very strong way. Similarly to Anne Hathaway, who's the mother, um, and also you have um, Anthony Hopkins as the boy's grandfather. Right, and, I saw and that. And it's also just like if these weren't identifiable, recognizable actors, then maybe you could get away with casting non-Jews in the role, but it just becomes more prevalent and it stands a little bit more. That's not wait, what I'm here to talk about though. But, but also, but wait, hold on a second. So now I'm, uh, I'm also trying to figure out, I'm like, which one is it with Judd Hirsch? <laughs> Judd Hirsch is. He's in one, one of is? them, right? Isn't he in one of them? He's in something. Judd Hirsch. Maybe he is in Armageddon time, but Anthony Hopkins is the grandfather Judd Hirsch. See, I've been watching a lot of movies lately, so yeah, I'm trying that's to what figure I'm out like, also which like, one did I did I two see movies. him in? Oh, he's in the Fablemans. He's in the he's Fablemans. in the Fablemans. Okay. Oh yeah, he's like the uncle. Yeah, but it's very brief. It's very very brief. His his appearance. Yeah, and then plays... and also Seth Rogen is in Seth Rogen. Right. So you have your Jewish representation. Like, Judd Hirsch, Seth Rogen. This... <laughs> And, and Seth Spielberg, was, I guess, and Spielberg himself. And Spielberg himself, yeah. Uh, I mean, Seth Rogen was very good in the role that he was playing. I had no problems. I enjoyed seeing him doing something. See, if there, if there was no, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but if there was no clearer evidence that the Jews do not control the entertainment industry, <laughs> this would be, it would be 100% the Fablemans, 100% accurate. Yeah. There'd be, anyway. It'd be like Adam Goldberg would be in it. I, you know, I don't know who else. I was, I was thinking of the Hebrew Hammer recently. Wow. I don't, I don't know if Adam Goldberg's getting cast in too much lately, but I don't know. But he's great and I love the Hebrew Hammer. So anyway, sorry, there you go. continue. So uh, I also watched uh, White Noise, which I really enjoyed. Um, Adam I, Driver, what's up? Have you ever read the book? I have not read the book. But okay. I am very intrigued because I'm I'm glad I didn't read the book before watching it because I was just like, what is happening? Right. And you know what? There's a lot of movies that I've seen based on books that I've read where I've kind of been like, man, I I would have I would have 
been more I would have had more of that reaction had I not read the book. I mean, gone, yeah. and not to like, you know, focus on David Fincher, but Gone Girl and uh-huh. um, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Yeah. Are probably the uh, two like you know biggest examples of that. Like I, Girl with Dragon Tattoo, I thought was awesome filmmaking, but I'm like, man, I would have been so much. I would have been on the edge of my seat had I not read the book. And I've read White Noise, but it's been a while since I've read it. So there are a well, few things I really re- remember about yeah. it, and then seeing the the trailers for it have made me, um, uh, you know, kind of see like, oh, I, I think they might have done a good job with it. I will say that I think that the way that Noah Baumbach directed it and the way that the the actors performed it, uh, you know, Greta Gerwig, Adam Driver, uh, Don Cheadle, I feel like they presented it in a way that doesn't feel like any other movie. There's a, a certain cadence that the performances have where I feel like it it feels a little bit more like maybe a play or it makes sense for it to be like, you know, very outwardly an adaptation of a book because there's just something about them that doesn't feel quite of our existence. Right. It just judging from the commercials I've seen and like, really, I don't think I've even sat through like a full trailer for it. But just from what I've seen, it looks like it really does honor the spirit of of the book and the humor yeah. of the book. And I'm I'm excited to see it. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I think it's going to be streaming. It's on coming to Netflix, yeah. Soon. Yeah. I don't know. There's like nothing. I I have to say this about recent movies, and then I'd like to talk about a couple of things I've seen recently. Yeah. If, I mean, uh, I know if, we're we're completely going long. We no, will no, no. get to we're, the candidate. We're going to get okay. to the candidate. We're going to get yeah. there. Um, I, I yeah, I've got a fun surprise in store. Uh, I, I don't know. I might have just hyped it up too much. But all right. Anyway, um, so really frustrated because I mean, I haven't the last time I went to see a movie in the theater um, happened to be with John and our other brother, Scott in Austin, Texas, where we saw the film 1917. And that's the last thing you saw in a theater. That is the last thing I saw in the theater. And that is due to both, you know, COVID and COVID anxiety, but also like nothing, there hasn't been as much to draw me out. And maybe it's just like, I have like, I don't have the time for three hour movies. And there are very few things that could draw me out. And actually the irony of that statement is the, is the movie that came closest to getting me to go to a theater was when um, just before uh, my son was born in April, like uh, I think sometime in March, our local theater was playing the, uh, you know, remastered restored version of the Godfather mm-hmm. celebrating its 50th anniversary, um, much like today's film, The Candidate. And right. uh, the God, and I was like, you know what? I've never seen The Godfather on the big screen. Like, I have it on Blu ray. Like, I've watched it, you know, good quality, but I would love to go see The Godfather. But it ultimately came down to like, man, I don't, between everything else I have going on, I can't spend that. Like, I could put The Godfather on at home and do other things while I'm watching it because I've, you know, seen it 20 times before, but, um, 
there were a few movies that I was looking forward to seeing. And I would say one in particular, um, I was really looking forward to the film adaptation of Matilda, the musical. Right. Right. Um, which saw on Broadway back in, I think 2013, um, loved it. Um, my daughter, Chloe, who's eight and a half has, you know, memorized the Fellini age. Most of it. Yes. <laughs> Fabulous. Um, <Thank> you. <laughs> uh, so, Anyway, Sorry, I she's, totally distracted you. I could also, tell that you like, can't remember last, what you were going to say. No, 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 no. I'm back on track. The last movie she saw in a theater was Frozen 2. Wow. So, like, we're talking around the same time, but and she's not really into it because, like, that was also the first movie she, she saw in a theater because we tried to go see Mary Poppins Returns, but something, like, got screwed up with the projector, and right. I don't know. It was a disaster. Um, and... I was really excited and I was really, I was all ready. I'm like, oh, great. So like Matilda, it's going to be streaming on Christmas. So on December 25th, you know, on Netflix, but it's coming out in theaters on the 9th. And right. I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to take her out of school early one day and surprise her and take her to see Matilda in the movie theater. It's going to be fucking awesome. And, um, I live in Seattle and Matilda played nowhere near seattle that sucks nowhere near and you know what i was like let me look i'm like let me see you know new york i'm like where would that movie be one theater in new york and i mean really? maybe i this was i, I know checked. it's been playing theatrically in the uk well yeah not that you're gonna take chloe there but no. Oh man. No, no. I mean, I would have planned for it, but I didn't know. I thought I, I was like, I really thought I'd be able to take her somewhere to, to go see it. And I'm, I'm really disappointed about that. Um, you know, it's really, it's, it's unfortunate. So, right. I, you know, not that anyone listening can do anything about that, but, um, I'm a little frustrated. Um, but things that I have been watching that have been streaming. So, um, I think last time I talked about, um, every, everything, everywhere, all at once. Oh yeah. So and, good. And, I think that's my favorite of the year. And I oh, actually, definitely, I actually do want to mention on the last episode, I was talking about how, uh, this year there have been some movies that have come out that have been pretty exceptional. And I did mention Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. I, I, also meant to mention everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, in addition to uh, the documentary, Fire of Love is uh, one of my other favorites of the year. What was that one? Fire of Love. Okay. About the uh, volcanologists, the Crofts, who died together in a volcano eruption. Oh, okay. uh, really, really stunning. Um, narrated by Miranda July. Um, it was directed by Sarah. I want to say Sarah Guest, but I don't know if that's correct, and I want to make sure that I get that right. Well, um, while you're looking that up, uh, and we're shouting out documentaries, I want to also shout out The Janes, which was I know it was. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Um, I may have talked about it earlier, but documentary about the underground network. Of, Sarah Dosa, sorry, Sarah Dosa. Okay, um, uh, network of um abortion providers in pre Roe versus Wade Chicago, mm -hmm. um, so late sixties, early seventies, and you know, uh, 
I, I wish it wasn't as relevant, but it right. nonetheless yeah. it would be still be very important to to watch. Um, I've been watching a few other movies. I and I granted I've been watching them in kind of like bits and pieces, but um, I watched bits and pieces. Sorry, go ahead. Okay, Boingo Boingo. What? Yeah. Um, the same Weird Boingo science. Boingo earlier. Love Boingo Boingo. Um, uh, the Wonder. Oh. On Netflix, Florence Pugh. Yeah, yes. Good? So another entry, yes, in in, like, you know, Florence Pugh, um, you know, it it takes place in the 19th century. It's, you know what it is? It's interesting and without going into too much, the basic premise is um, Florence Pugh plays an English nurse who is brought to a small, I think, Welsh village. Um, Yeah. and she's kind of commissioned to take part in a watch. There's an 11 year old girl who has not eaten for four months. And Whoa. she says, and she has not been, she does not seem affected by it. And she says that she's been sustained on manna from heaven. So she's become kind of like this, like a miracle. And, you know, people come and travel to see her. And you could tell, like, there's a little bit of like, uh, you know, they kind of make you think like, oh, I wonder if there's like a grift going on because people will be like, oh, here's a donation. And um, and it's that uh, Florence Pugh. Um, what's her name? It's uh, Libby, I guess, is what she ends up going by. Mrs. Something, and you know, you find out more about her background. You know uh-huh. that she's got some secrets, and that's you know they're revealed, you know, um, as as the film as it goes by. But then you kind of have she's convinced that there's some type of scam going on. Like there's some way this kid is getting food, so she keeps and oh, and like she splits the watch with this nun. Okay. Because the family, the family's very religious, and the family's like have to have a nun. Gotta um, have a nun. Gotta have a nun. You know. Um. Uh. So anyway, she's doing the watch, and and she keeps adding these restrictions, and she's like, nope, for this to be a legit watch, like the family can't see her, like they can't be near her. Um, and she gets like, really, she's kind of getting like obsessive and you know that you, as you learn more about her background, you're, you're like, okay, Florence Pugh, what are you, you know, what's hiding? What's going on with you? Um, and yeah, you know, eventually, uh, you know, she figures it out. The girl kind of, at first the girl. No spoilers, please. No, no spoilers, no spoilers. But, you know, um, you know, eventually, you know, you, you, as the film, as things unravel, as things unfold, you find out more and more. So um, it is an interesting film. I don't know that everyone would like it. There are certain choices made that one might be like, hmm, was that necessary? Hmm. But it's not, it's very subtle. Okay. So, um, you know, definitely worth checking out. Florence Pugh always, uh, I think, always makes interesting choices. Totally. Um, I think she's had an intense year. She, I'm like, I'm glad she's doing a Marvel. That's that was what I thought after watching The Wonder, and I'm just, just like, you know, because you know it's a serious movie. That's not a spoiler. But I'm, I'm glad she gets to go. She's doing a Marvel. That's good. Well, she did Black Widow. Is it's, she doing another one? Well, she's doing one where like they all t- like she teams up with I don't like know who like the like Winter Soldier. 
or whatever. Yeah, it's exhausting. Yeah, I don't know. I'm like, but that's good for her. I'm like, I'm glad she's doing no, that. Yeah, I look, I trust her. She's doing what she's. Don't worry, darling. Do. Was you know it is that, what it is. that was intense. Um, one more. I read the one more, but let's make it brief because I want to make sure that we get to the candidate. I'm not even watching the clock. So Banshees of Inisherin. Um, oh yeah, I've been another one. Watch that. You I've know, been hearing it's great. It is, uh, you know, Martin McDonough, great dialogue. Uh, it, there's a lot, I'm sure there's a lot more to it than meets the eye. I'm kind of like, I'd like to watch this again, but I don't know when I would like to watch this again. Um, Colin Farrell, Brent, uh, Brendan Gleeson, of course, are excellent. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's the type of thing where, hey, if you like um, Irish dramas set in the early 20th century and Martin McDonough dialogue, this is the movie for you. I, Yeah. That sounds like an endorsement <laughs> for a very specific set of people. But I've also just been hearing generally people like it. So, uh, Dan, I saw something in the news on IndieWire. Uh, and I'm trying to think of how I want to ask you this question. Okay. So, there is a sequel to a movie that we have covered on this podcast. Oh, it's that, like a Jeopardy-style question. Great. Yes. Good choice. Uh, that is in... Um, I, I guess I don't know if they're in production or talks or whatever, but a uh, the director of Minari, uh, Lee Isaac Chung, has been tapped to direct a sequel to which movie that we have covered on this podcast. Oh man, I feel like I've seen this. This has like you know come across. Director Lee Isaac Chung, director of Minari. Is to, is tapped to direct the sequel to which movie that we have covered on this podcast? Um, hmm. You know, I I'm just I'm gonna rather than think about it, I'm just gonna go with the first thing that popped into my mind. What is the Monster Squad? No, yeah. I'll give you two more guesses. Your first oh. clue is that uh, this is a film from the 1990s. Okay. Director what? Lee Isaac Chung, director of Minari. What is um oh um what is Sister Act? No, it is not it Sister, Sister Act. Act it is not no. Sister Act. No, no not but Act uh, this is not one where I think that you would have heard of a um a sequel being in the talks of for the for this one. Director Lee Isaac Chung, would you like another clue? I would like another clue, please. Okay, in this film, uh, in the in the first film, I guess, in what will become a series, if if, if things go according to plan, uh, the actor uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is in this film. Oh, Twister! Twister is right. Yes. Oh. Very surprising like part choice. Eight? What? <laughs> Lee Isaac Chung uh, to, you know, who, you know, knocked our socks off with Minari, an excellent, excellent movie. And um, sorry, and can I just we... correct myself? Philip Seymour Hoffman was not in Hard Eight. That was Philip Baker Hall. Uh, oh, did you say Hard Eight? I shouted out Hard Eight as like the least likely 90s uh, movie with okay. Philip Seymour Hoffman to have a sequel, I guess. Uh, well, yeah, so uh, Lee Isaac Chung, I think it's really exciting. Um, I think that he is an excellent director. And, um, you know, I'd be really curious to see what he what he would do 
with um with Twister. I, I don't know. I imagine Would, there will be tornadoes involved. Uh, I mean, it's a sequel. Does Helen Hunt come back? Um, I'm sure know? there will be a, a message about climate change and the intensification. Or maybe it'll be a prequel. It was described as a sequel on IndieWire. Okay. And so uh, Lee Isaac Chung, the Oscar-nominated director of Minari, is in talks to direct the sequel to the 1996 storm-chasing blockbuster Twister. Uh, an individual with knowledge of the pro- of the project told IndieWire, if this deal closes, Chung would work from a script by The Revenant writer, Mark L. Smith, and a story from Top Gun Maverick director, Joseph Kaczynski. So and interesting the- because... Oh, sorry, Joseph Kaczynski also doing another 30 years later. <laughs> um, no, but I was thinking about... Because as, as we're thinking about, I'm like, oh, I wonder if they do like a Top Gun Maverick type thing with like Helen Hunt being like Maverick and like she has to come in and train like a new bunch and like you know does Carrie Elwes do like the Val Kilmer cameo does am I, I'm turning it into hot shots um sorry right. <laughs> yeah <clears throat> yeah you know I I mean remains to be seen we'll we'll see what happens um Universal Pictures with Amblin Entertainment are developing the sequel titled Twisters which Steven Spielberg is executive producing oh so, um yeah, there, there's a lot more in this IndieWire Is that article. how The Fablemans ends? <sighs> the Fablemans, okay, I will say the ending of The Fablemans might be the only part that I liked. <laughs> not just because it was over and I could get on with my night. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to, I do have other questions, but I'm not going to ask more about it right now just because it's not that important. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's, uh, that's what I got, but you told me before that you have something else that you wanted to mention regarding our last episode. Oh, just a quick one more thing on sneakers, which, um, man, what a, ah, what a fun movie. Um, but that, I don't need to say that we all know that. Um, but what I do want to say is that, um, you know, I was thinking about the casting and I was like, man, I'm like, man, River Phoenix like scores with this ensemble. And then I was like, well, wait a second. This was not his first time teaming with Sidney Poitier. Um, they appeared together in 1998's Little Nikita, oh. which have you never seen that movie? Wait, did you say that it's not his first time teaming up? Right. Wait, Sneakers, 19... Sneakers was not the first time River Phoenix and Sidney Poitier. Do you mean 1988? I think you said 1998. I do mean 1988. Okay. That makes yes, more sense. I do not I was mean like, 98. Okay. Um, that, that would be absurd. But yeah. anyway, uh, this was a movie uh, directed by Richard Benjamin. And it was where I think like um, uh, Sidney Poitier's like FBI or he's government agent and um, like tells River Phoenix or River Phoenix finds out that like his parents are like sleeper agents for the KGB. Like right. it's like the Americans. Yeah. So, um, and like, uh, what's it called? Like Sidney Poitier's character kind of like, be- like be- becomes friends with River. I don't know. Anyway, uh, huh. I remember it being a good movie. Um, yeah. I, I want to check it out. Um, but yeah, I was like, wait a second. Yeah. Little Nikita. Yeah. So that's it. Cool. Well, I, I feel like we need to launch into the candidate now. We've been yakking for Let's launch the campaign minutes. here. We want Bill. We <laughs> want Bill. So this is the worst slogan in the history of political I want, campaigns. Uh, I'm going to start off with a synopsis because I feel like this is one that uh, maybe not 
a lot of people have seen. Uh, it is definitely um, one of the lesser talked about Robert Redford movies. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm just going to launch into it. So uh, during their search for a viable Democratic candidate for the California Senate, campaign manager Marvin Lucas taps the young, handsome, issues-driven Bill McKay, whose father had served as California's governor. Since the incumbent Republican senator is wildly beloved and guaranteed to win, Marvin tells Bill that he's allowed to say anything he'd like on the campaign trail with the understanding that he'll lose. This bodes well for Bill. He doesn't want to be a politician, but he does want to spread his progressive messages. Over the course of his campaign, Bill falls deeper and deeper into the hype that he could actually win, which complicates his relationship with his wife, Nancy. And when Bill finally gets his father to join Team McKay, the poll numbers begin to get closer and closer. The pressure is on, and Bill now has to face his toughest issue yet. He may actually win the election. And so Robert Redford plays Bill McKay. Peter Boyle is uh, Marvin Lucas. Uh, Melvin Douglas is uh, former Governor John J. McKay, and we might remember him from being there. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's kind of cool that we've done more than one Melvin Douglas movie. I know, uh, right? Yeah, we have uh, Don Porter as uh, Senator Crocker Jarman, such a great well, Republican, you know, politician name. Uh, Karen Carlson is Nancy McKay. Um, there's, you know, you're going to recognize a lot of people in here. Michael Lerner is in there. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a, uh, it's a pretty exciting movie. You do have a lot of other like politicians in there, uh, playing themselves. And, um, I, I don't know. It, I feel like it's a, it's an evergreen kind of topic that, that, you know, there's always going to be these people who politicians, you know, tap to like bring into the into the fold as potentially being able to, you know, take a seat from the other party. And I uh, I feel like we kind of saw that recently in, in which it kind of failed with Herschel Walker. Um, thank goodness. But that was too close for comfort. Um, in indeed. Yeah, and so you know, it's it's one of those things where this is a situation in which I, uh, at least from the perspectives of this particular podcast host, this is the kind of thing that we like to see happen. You know, even if it's a situation where they're just like, "Look, there's no way that anybody's gonna beat Crocker Jarman. We may as well get somebody who's gonna." you know, benefit from this. Like it's actually comes from right. a place of wanting to do good. Like the first time I saw this movie, um, Peter Boyle's character, uh, Marvin, uh, I was, I kind of like missed a little bit, you know, it has that kind of seventies movie pacing where you're just like, there's a lot of talking going on. Am I catching everything? Why does he want him to lose? Like what's going on? And I, I kind of thought like, did, does he have, bad motives for this like what exactly is going on it's like no he needed somebody to run and he just found somebody who he was like you know what this this kid's actually pretty cool like he could at least get some headlines totally yeah yeah it'll be um, good for the party yeah 
and apologies if I uh, sorry you, I lost you there for a few moments. Oh, I said were. a lot of really great stuff. I'm so glad that you monologued and were not asking me anything <laughs> because I would not have known. Um, so apologies if I repeat anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, yeah, so it, interesting. This movie comes out in 1972. It's uh, you know Nixon's reelection. Yeah. Here. Um, and it, you know, this was my first time seeing it. Yeah. What'd you think? Uh, didn't love it. I thought it could have been better. Um, oh, well, of course it could have been better. I, I don't know that Michael Ritchie was the right director for it. And I know it was, you know, Robert Redford personally chose Michael Ritchie who had directed downhill racer yeah. um a a skiing drama with Robert Redford and Gene Hackman uh that maybe we'll, we'll catch on our next uh you know Redford perspective yeah um uh, we're going to be wrapping this one up with our our next episode but more on that later uh maybe we'll do a series on ski movies on ski- oh yeah oh yes oh <laughs> yes i know where you're going um with yeah, that yeah. anyway uh getting back to too bad we've already done better off dead uh, um, i was just thinking that yeah anyway um i felt that it was uneven i felt the tone was uneven um i felt that it had its moments where it was like is it a there were things that just were not clear um about it like there were issues that seemed to come up that didn't like what was the like why did it why was his wife wearing a riding outfit for, that was for a photo shoot thing. and like yeah I, and okay. he didn't know it was happening all right so <laughs> i do i do agree that all the stuff that the the issues that come up between he and his wife i think uh didn't play really that well and there was also this element of this very mysterious woman with these kind of like uh, tinted glasses who he has an affair with in a hotel. And it's like not even a thing. It's just kind of strange. And uh, those things were kind of shoehorned in there where it's almost just like, eh, we don't have enough tension. What else can we put in here that like builds a little bit of tension, but it didn't really play. Otherwise it's just wall to wall issues, which honestly right. I, I would have been fine with that. Uh, and I thought that what, what the things that, I found interesting about it were the ways that they were uh, trying to frame the different like media coverage that he was getting. And, you know, when they're, when he's kind of talking about, or like talking to the people in the public and they're filming it for different campaign ads and stuff, you know, the decision process that goes into that, I found really interesting. And I kind of the way that he starts to like crack towards the end when they're like racing to get onto this TV appearance and stuff. Like I was like, that's exciting. Like the frenzy. It had, that's the thing though. It had these moments where it was like, okay, what this movie either, maybe, maybe this was more in the editing. I don't know. Maybe it was more in the writing. The movie did win best, best original screenplay for, uh, at the Oscars that year. So, uh, for what that's worth, but I I felt like there were those moments and there's, and it's like, okay, maybe they're going to go in this direction. But then they don't. And in that in that respect, it reminded me a lot of another movie movie we've talked about, The Ides of March. Yeah. 
and you know where you know you have those questions of you know how much of your ideals do you do you surrender you know kind of like the higher right. up the political food chain you get how much like you see there's that whole montage where he's like giving the same speech and he'd never be able, you'd never be able to get away with that today because it you know the speech would be everything on the end. is recorded yeah, exactly. yeah and everyone would see it but where he's you know it's what 19 early 1970s yeah. he's going around and giving the same speech all the time and then you see him in the back in like when he's in the limo and i i the, the it's like that payoff uh when he's when he's in the back of the limo and i wonder how much of that was scripted how much of that was just like redford riffing well um, yeah th- that's funny because when i was watching it i was like i wonder if he was actually just like rehearsing and they're just like turn the camera on you know like that kind of right thing. but uh you know but it makes it totally works in the story where it's like you know, he's become this robot, this politician now where he's not saying anything new. He's just repeating the same things over and over again that are rehearsed. And what like the times when Bill like really shines are when he kind of goes off script and he really shakes things up. The debate is fantastic. The debate is fire. Yeah, and it's so great because you can see Crocker Jarman getting all sweaty and nervous. Like and, Sorkin, Sorkin yeah. level. That, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. I, that's and, and I feel like um, this movie could have been a victim to, you know, post-production studio notes where it's just like, where's the sex? Where's the intrigue? You know, that kind of a thing where they're just like, all right, well, we have to sacrifice this for that. And... Uh, I I would have preferred to have seen maybe some sort of scene between Bill and Nancy where it's more of a conversation of just like having to make that decision of like, I didn't want to get into this. I was just doing this to support, you know, I don't know, the, the organization I was working with before. It seemed like he kind of worked at like a nonprofit or something. And uh, like a law, law office. Yeah. It, yeah. Something like that. And uh, it was very uh dave-esque in that way right yes yes (laughs) you know and um he didn't want to become a politician he didn't want to become his father right and and i really feel like there's a uh there was a missed opportunity to actually give him the opportunity to uh vocalize his frustration with like you know having to make the decision like do i continue and potentially actually become a senator is that what i want is that what's going to be best for me? Or is it to the point now where it doesn't matter what's best for me because maybe that's what's best for California? So, so, and, and there's another, like one of those, uh, um, another like fantastic moment in this movie that shows the, the potential, um, is towards the end, uh, when his father, like, you know, kind of puts his arm around him and says, ah, you're a politician. Yeah. And you see the look on his face. And I'm like, it's Dustin Hoffman at the end of The Graduate. Yeah. Which is mm-hmm. ironic because the studio wanted Robert Redford in The Graduate. Well, but yeah. that and I was like, oh, shit, that's ex- that's where it should end. And like, that's. Uh, yeah, and and I don't really want to give away the ending. Uh, I mean, it came out fifty years ago, so it's almost kind of like yeah, you I, had a chance. But yeah. uh, the ending actually does give you that graduate moment. Yeah, like well, I, and then he kind of gets sucked up into the 
he gets sucked up into the into the it, crowd into the current yeah it's you know he's getting pulled away it's a great it's a it's a great ending that uh, i wish that the that the rest of the movie was kind of more on that level yeah i i do feel like when this movie is strong it's really strong and then and the the other times it's like uh, it's just not hitting the mark and uh, for me and this goes to something that i was talking about i think on the last episode where there are so many of these robert redford roles in which he plays this like confident person that you really get behind and right. you and it's you know this is uh before uh all the president's men and you just see a lot of like that type of uh woodward character coming out in this integrity yeah it, absolutely integrity and you just oh. want to get behind this guy and there's just something about him that you feel like you're in good hands with him. And um, I don't know. And, and because his character is somebody who's really for the people, like he really wants to uh, show him, like, you know, show this video footage of himself, like in this clinic where he's trying to like help these people out, but you know, just was doesn't, doesn't really play for the camera as well. But like, he really cared about those things that were happening. And, you know, it's the other people who kind of bring him in the other direction for optics. Right, right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a couple of moments that I want to, one that I want to come back to is when he's in the back of the limo. And it's this moment where, and I don't know if this was for you, but for the, in the back of my head, the whole time is they're pushing him as this, like, you know, the man of the people and everything. It's like, Yes, but no, because he was the son of the governor yeah. and like he, you know, was privileged and yeah. the back that scene in the back of the limo where he's just where he's rattling off all of these things that I'm like, you know, that's meaningful. Like he's talking about, uh, you know, addressing racism in America yeah. And he's just saying it like he's like practicing his lines for the millionth time. And I'm like, man, like the that's the privilege is coming out there. And it's like it's this really interesting thing that maybe tells me that that, you know, there's more on the editing room floor. Yeah, to this well, movie. I he's mean, having he's having a bit of like a, a crisis of conscience where he's being pulled in these two different directions, you know, really yeah. saying what he wants to say. And then it's like saying the rehearsed planned out lines that ultimately mean the same thing on like on paper, but like really don't because it's not coming from the heart in the same way. Right. Right. And there was one moment that I, and this is towards the beginning when, once he finally starts you know, getting out there uh, amongst the people and they're filming him just kind of being in the community when they're trying to tell him to like go play basketball with these kids who are, you know, these black kids playing basketball and they see this white man who's well-dressed coming towards them and uh, all these cameras and the kids run away. And that's Hello, something- youngsters. Yeah, and it's just something that like, you know, they don't, go into it there's not a moment where it's just like where'd they go like how come they ran away like don't they know that i'm the good guy but it, it's almost like this film what i appreciate about it is that it does give the audience the opportunity to fill in the blanks with with those types of uh moments uh yeah and i'm glad that they didn't like 
really hit us over the head with just like, what's wrong? Don't you know I'm here to help? Like the white no. savior thing. Well, and, no, yeah. yeah, of course, of of course not. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. I just I feel like there's these little like threads that are left dangling. Yeah. Um, you know, there's like this weird moment. There's like that one campaign aide who's like the blonde. Yeah, something weird about that guy. There's like yeah. a weird. Mo- was he supposed to be like Peter Boyle's son or something? Oh, I don't think I didn't get that impression. I don't know. There was something weird with him and then there was this weird moment with like someone who had like worked with mckay at the law firm right and and between those two yeah those two people right there's there's an encounter there but there's also the encounter with mckay where he's like hey man i think you're really gonna do it and like you know hey yeah it's all bullshit but right you know and and redford is like left shaken you know like he just like shook hands with a would-be assassin yeah uh, not to make light of that type of thing, but right. it, 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 I'm like, what, what, are, what's missing? It almost feels like it should be a Robert or Robert Altman film. And I know that <laughs> Altman, you know, later did, you know, um, a, pol- a political series. Uh, I'm blanking on the name right now, but, um, it it almost feels like it's trying to be Altman esque, well, which it's I mean, made right after Mash. So yeah, I think that also this is uh, you know Richie as a director. Uh, the only thing that I really know of his is Bad News Bears. The only thing that like I really actually know, you know, and it's I think that it you know there was an element of getting involved with something that's a little bit more uh, trendy uh, mm-hmm. of a film to be making, uh, something that's more political, uh, because this is a time in uh, Hollywood where this is kind of like right after, you know, there's a big shift in the way that films are being made. The studio system has changed a lot. And there's uh, people that are taking more risks with the Mm. kinds of movies that they're making and the kinds of messaging that they're trying to get across. And if I may, John, I, I, you know, just doing a little uh, research here, would like to kind of broaden your your Michael. You might not remember, but Michael Ritchie also directed uh, Fletch and uh fletch fletch lives he also directed um the golden child with eddie murphy wildcats <laughs> with goldie hawn okay that's fair okay so i've maybe seen the golden child more than i've seen any of his other movies <laughs> the but scout that's not... he works well in sports films as i'm looking through his imdb um filmography he like it, i feel like his best movies he did digstown um 92. i like digstown i i love digstown i it's it's one of my like you know james james woods passes <sighs> where i'm like i think i can watch it without wanting to punch him um anyway so but yeah it's but if you look at his filmography yeah this is something kind of different for him yeah, I, I mean, I think that with Fletch, I mean, clearly it's a very different tone of a movie, but it's also... I think this movie was missing a Harold Faltemeyer score. Yeah, right. Well, and, and I'll say Fletch, but not Fletch Lives, because Fletch Lives is a... It go, it's that one... 
the whole musical number that no, you know. Yeah, Fletch lives. We we've talked. It, it's in the archives. Uh, yeah, Fletch lives but is problematic. Fletch itself, I think that uh, there are some more elements of like you know the the nobody trying to do good. You know that kind of that kind of thing. Right. Um, yeah. And you know I I you know because in the original Fletch, there's a little bit more going on with you know, his, uh, employer, the, the paper and everything. And so anyway, but, I uh, I think that, and, and also it's just like the, the seventies of it all, the seventies. Um, and what year did Fletch come out? Was that early eighties? 85. 85. Wow. F- feels older than that. I don't know why. Anyway, I, I, I don't know why either, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that the candidate is one where, it it really feels like Michael Ritchie trying to do something different, trying to get his uh, his thoughts out there. I think that when it comes to these movies that have these political uh, agendas, you know, we mentioned being there, Melvin Douglas uh, in, in being there, and um, just Hal Ashby making these political statements without it maybe Hal feeling... Hal Ashby would have been Hal a great Ashby would have been awesome at this. But yes. making political statements without making it feel like there's all these political statements being made. I think that right. being there is a little bit more on the nose, but then there's something like The Landlord uh, with, with Bo Bridges uh, that's really about, like gentrification and race and in the inner cities. And I think that uh, somebody like Hal Ashby was saying a lot more by putting it in a different way. And uh, Michael Ritchie, I think was going for a more straightforward move, but this to me very much reads of like, they, there were decisions that were out of his control that made this a little bit different. And I will even say that the poster for this movie, where it's Robert Redford in front of an American flag blowing a bubble, feels like that was a studio decision to make it more sellable because it makes it seem more just like he's just a kid. He's just a whippersnapper. He's not but taking this seriously. I know. But in re- but the character himself, Bill McKay, it's like... You know, he's he's not a kid. It, it's almost like that's a smear campaign by the Jarman campaign or something right. like, you know, it's like a smear ad trying to say like he's just a little kid. And so I think that this movie suffers from studio over involvement. And mm. I have nothing to back that up other than just theory. So, uh, yeah, my only my my only like uh, devil's advocate, I guess, to that is that I I think Redford was a producer on this, and I I don't know how much pull he would have had at this point, but I, I don't know. It's I, hard, yeah, hard to anyway. Say. I, I I you know it's all it's all speculation. So I I don't know, John. Uh, you know, we talked about other political movies like Ides of March, um, being more current. Uh, you know, what's what? What are your ideas? What are your thoughts? I think that it would be great to to remake this, and uh, I I I love the idea of it just being like, look, we've got no chance of winning this. We've got we've got to run somebody. Let's just swing for the fences here and like put in a complete wild card. Like mm-hmm. I love that idea. And I think that it's, like I said, it's evergreen. It makes sense at at all times. And 
I uh, honestly, you could set it today. You could set it back in the seventies again. You could set it in the eighteen seventies. Like there's a, there are a lot of different ways that this could be done. Hey, seventeen seventies. You know, <laughs> maybe not so much. It's like George Washington's a total lock. I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, but anyway, like I, I think that there's a real um, opportunity to. I don't know, make this, uh, turn this into something else, do it again, call it the candidate, still do the same thing. Um, but I feel like we have uh, we have filmmakers now and studios now who are better able to take risks and to, uh, you know, get their messages across without you know, the hesitation of the studios being like, we're going to divide our audiences if this happens or if that happens, or if there's not a scene of implied sexual activity, then we're toast. You know, there's, there's always going to be uh, something, but I feel like we have a better chance now of, of making this movie in a way that feels a little bit better. But honestly, it's like the, the 1972 of it all. I love the, the, I I know that you had some problems with the pacing, but like, I feel like there's some moments where it just feels so 1972. It feels like really cool the way that it's presented. Um, that's personal preference. I really enjoy that kind of vibe. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just think that there's a, a cool way of, of doing this again. And, I, I don't have any thoughts on directors or actors exactly, but there are so many capable directors and actors who could do this. What do you think? So, um, well, first of all, my, my thought on, a I, I guess, you know, I don't know about an ideal filmmaker. There's certainly a lot of filmmakers who would do, you know, depending on what direction you went into. But I really, I felt like, ironically, Adam McKay. Uh, would, uh, well, I was thinking Adam McKay as well, which is really I'm like, funny. This is kind of his cup of yeah. tea. Although um, I, I also feel like, you know, I might want to see, you know, we talked about um, I, the director of Minari. Um, oh, Lee Isaac Chung. You know, I mean, I'm not saying him specifically, but I'm saying like, you know, a new a new filmmaker and kind of trusting like a filmmaker with a you know kind of like a filmmaker like adam mckay you know doesn't just like you know pick a script out of a pile that he's gonna i don't think so no he you know is involved in the development right writes the scripts and everything so i think i would want um i think i would i would want it to be somebody uh somebody like that um doing it uh, I, I had a couple of other ideas and uh, another movie that it made me think of, another political movie that it made me think of, uh, 1998's Bullworth, oh, yeah. uh, you know, directed by starring Warren Beatty, um, you know, similar. He's he's the incumbent here. And, uh, yeah. you know, in in this case. And anyway, that's I, I, a complicated movie to get into. But the idea of a candidate kind of like picking up steam by going, you know, by, by swerving and right. going in an unexpected direction. Um, you know, that, you know, that, that's just, a um, it's a fun story to tell. I think, um, uh, one of my ideas was like, could it be a sequel where it takes place and I don't know which election it would be, but like McKay's running for president and I don't know, you'd have to, you'd figure out the time because you just have Brad Pitt 
as McKay. And um, I'm like, I'm like, there you go. You you just, you do the ages, right? You cast Brad Pitt and like, he's running, he's in the 1992 primary, you know? Um, uh, I, I also thought maybe a musical, Cause I was trying to think. I'm like, are there musicals like this? I'm like, what are like? Po- yes, there's Hamilton, 1776, but and um, I was thinking about and honestly, it's because like Frost Nixon was turned into an opera, um, right? Yeah. And I was thinking, I was like, this would be really interesting, like debate scenes, scenes between like, you know, with all of the different campaign managers and all like all of the different like the scene where where. Um, the guy is, uh, they're talking about like a motorcade, which I can't believe they were talking about that in, you know, uh, only within 10 years of the Kennedy assassination. But right. when, the, when the guy is trying to give the instructions, the chart keeps falling, food delivery comes, they're That's trying to figure scene. out. That's a great scene. Imagine that in a musical. That's money right there. Uh, so I, I thought that that would be, um, I, I, I thought that that like, you know, that would be fun. Um, so I also, I consulted because, um, during, is during this my, your fun surprise? Yeah, this is my fun yeah. surprise. So, so recently, <laughs> um, you know, I've, I've, I've had a little time off and of course, you know, the, the a lot of the buzz, in, uh, over the past couple of weeks recently has been this, uh, you know, um, chat bot, chat GPT. Oh. And, uh, because it came to my attention because I'm a English language arts teacher and there's all of these articles popping up in places like the Atlantic be like, is is this the end of the essay? And right. um, so I was I was playing around with it and um I thought to myself, I'm like, oh, let's see what Chat GPT has to say if I ask it to pitch a sequel to the candidate. And the candidate, the next campaign, follows the story of Jim Ryan, a successful politician who has just been reelected to his third <laughs> term as governor. However, despite his success, Jim is feeling burnt out and disillusioned with the political system. When he is approached by a group of political strategists with a plan to revolutionize the way campaigns are run, Jim is skeptical but intrigued. As he embarks on a new campaign for the presidency, Jim must navigate the challenges and controversies of modern politics while trying to stay true to his values. Along the way, he's faced with tough decisions and tough choices as he tries to balance his personal beliefs with the demands of the campaign. As he travels the country and meets with voters, Jim begins to see firsthand the issues that are most important to Americans and the changes they want to see in the world. He also discovers that the political strategists he is working with have their own agendas, and he must decide whether to trust them or follow his own instincts. As the campaign heats up and the stakes get higher, Jim must confront his own doubts and fears and decide whether he has what it takes to lead the country. Can he stay true to his principles and emerge as a leader in a political landscape that is increasingly divisive and polarized? The Candidate, the next campaign, is a thought-provoking and timely sequel that explores the complexities of modern politics and the challenges of leadership in the 21st century. Wow. So, I know what you're thinking. Is that really a sequel? Or is that more of a remake? Yeah. Well, no. Because its pitch for a remake is as follows. Oh my god. 
In The Candidate, we follow the story of Max Adams, a young and ambitious (laughs) political strategist who is tasked with managing the campaign of a charismatic but inexperienced candidate for the U.S. Senate. As Max guides her candidate through the rough and tumble world of of modern politics, she must navigate a complex web of competing interests and deal with the constant pressure to win at any cost. As the campaign heats up and the stakes get higher, Max is forced to confront her own values and decide what she is willing to sacrifice in the pursuit of victory. Along the way, she must confront difficult questions about the role of money in politics and the ethics of political campaigning. As she grapples with these challenges, Max is aided by a diverse and talented team of advisors, each with their own strengths and weaknesses. Together, they must navigate the complex landscape of modern politics and find a way to emerge victorious in the face of fierce competition. The Candidate is a timely and provocative remake that explores the high-stakes world of modern politics and the personal and professional challenges faced by those who work in the field. With a diverse and talented cast and a compelling narrative, this film is sure to engage and inspire audiences of all ages. Wow. And I know what you're wondering. Did I ask Can you make it shorter? (laughs) Can I make it? No. Um, I did ask, and it probably could if I said, could, like, yes. if I gave it a word limit, it would. Yeah. Um, I, it did kind of repeat those formulas when I was like, oh, tell, uh, pitch a musical based on the candidate. And it just, like, kind of changes the end with, like, with toe tapping, you know, yeah, showstoppers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, <laughs> I thought that would be a fun little. What a fun surprise! Little and yeah, but that's word for word copied and pasted. Wow. Like I did not change a single thing. Wow! Um, wow, wow! Yeah, so scary, right? Yeah, and you know, uh, you said a word in there that made me. Uh, well, it reminded me of something, but it made me think about a an actual uh, a director that I think would be able to handle. Um, a, a remake quite well. And uh, the word that you said was field. And I thought about uh, Nick Nightingale himself, Todd Field, uh, oh. who directed uh, Tar recently. Did you see that? I did see it. It's excellent. Oh. And it's it's very tense and it has a great pace to it. And I feel like... Uh, Todd Field would be an excellent director to handle such a, uh, a such a remake. And you know what? We're talking Maxine. Let's get Kate Blanchett in there. Team the two of them back up. I mean, wow, yeah. Um, but I, but I mean, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I, why not? I don't know. Max Adams. This is a role for Florence Pugh. I feel like Maxine should be the candidate. Or not Maxine. Kate Blanchett should be the candidate. You think so? And and well, because it's young and ambitious political stuff. Oh, yeah. Like, All right, kinda, you're thinking Pew. Okay. Up and comer. So I'm thinking Pew, but I'm also thinking like this is a different Pew. She does not need to wear like ankle length dresses um and bonnets. So You know who I would like? Let me look up her name. I'm thinking young and ambitious. And uh let me pull this up really quick. Um Uh, Ayo uh, Adibiri, who played Sydney on The Bear. I didn't see that. Hold on. Oh, The Bear is a great show on Hulu. Um, I'm going to have to check it out. 
Yeah. Uh, she... The guy from The Bear is playing uh, the late professional wrestler Kerry Von Erich in A24's Iron Claw. I, I saw that he was doing some sort of wrestling thing. And so, yeah, he's yeah. playing Kerry Von the Texas Tornado himself. All right. Um, so I'm sorry. Um, so The Bear. Okay, I'm looking this up right now. Yeah, the so... character's name is Sydney, and uh, the actress's name is Ayo, A-Y-O, Edebiri, E-D-E-B-I-R-I. Uh, yeah. I... I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And uh, she's really excellent. Um, I, I would love to see her in a role like this. Um, you know, she's just kind of popping up on the scene. She's been in a few things here and there. But, uh, you know, really the bear was like a big breakout performance and uh, – I mean, caught my attention big time. She was fantastic. I'm going to check that out, but I'm all for like, you know, let's give someone a boost, give them the Kate Blanchett rub, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, uh, I think that we've got some good, some good choices here. And, uh, I thank chat GPT for its suggestions as well. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I could, uh, another time I, I could share other, <laughs> um, things that it produced uh so quite quite um frightening Yikes. and phenomenal at once but anyway uh let's talk about our our next episode which yeah is wrapping be up a, our uh fort red border extravaganza we've reached the border of fort red border um and you know a lot of options a lot of things and just like kind of shouting out other movies like um a river runs through it and the horse whisperer and um it, uh, i know that there's other movies legal ordinary Eagles, people ordinary people a uh, lot of lot of uh redford movies that you know we, we didn't get around to but um you know our, this is going to be our last episode of 2022 and uh, it's a movie that's going to be celebrating its 50th anniversary next year. And that would be 1973's The Sting, reuniting uh, Fort Red Border with New Palman. I don't know. I had nothing else. New Palman. I, did, I didn't plan that one. So, right. um, <laughs> it's the same thing. You know, it's, it's yeah. an anagram. Um, and, uh, and also the director. Yeah, George Roy Hill. George uh, Roy Hill. Coming back from um, uh, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Don't know how I blanked on that. Yeah. Um, such a great cast in this movie. Robert Shaw, Ray Walston, um, Harold Gould, Eileen Brennan, um and you know many many more i can't wait to talk about it it's one of my it's it's in my top definitely my top 20 cool um and one of the it was definitely a priority when i first you know was upgrading to blu-ray uh one of those movies that was a priority for me it's beautiful so so excited to talk about the sting um on our next episode I am very excited, Dan. And as you are running for Senate, I wish you a good journey. Good journey.